Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. Right here is HTML, Husband's Talking More or Less. Force Legacy. And by force, I mean we forced ourselves to watch this movie again. Kind of. I, I'm so completely of two minds on this movie where I appreciate so many more things about it 21 years later than I did at the time. But at the same time, I can see so many more flaws. I, I don't know. I don't know. One of those flaws being Obi-Wan's rat tail, which is just gross and unforgivable. But things that aren't gross and unforgivable include the amazing Padawan Jedi html partakers that we have bummed along on this weird ass kessel run of a bad introduction everybody here for the second episode in a row jonah hello everyone welcome back honorary husband and with us making his second ever html appearance so i guess that's like page 2.html is x's for podcasts very own dylan hi everybody Welcome back. I guess if this is your second appearance, that makes it like an SHTML page. I don't know how that works. Isn't that like a security encrypted page? I just thought the pun was cute. And (laughs) now people just keep saying our show's title is so long. (laughs) Also, SHMT, it's like Shmi. Let's talk about some Star Wars. Yeah, we did BTS last episode and now we're ready to dive into the plot. I guess before we start, guest boys, are there any questions or things about the plot that you were like, what the fuck? or any huge moments that you want to get out of the way and discuss about this movie first. Because Liam Neeson was in Rob Roy, he was trained in proper sword fighting. And when he was filming scenes with his lightsaber, he would perform non-choreographed moves for actual swords and perform actual swordplay. Ewan McGregor would just make the lightsaber noises while they were filming. I am completely taken with this story. They really are master and padawan. That's adorable. Yeah, so it's something very (laughs) in character for what Qui-Gon would do. Quick tidbit for everyone. Dylan, in this mixed weird bag of Jedi-Sith nonsense, did anything strike you as just unmissable? Well, I feel like Nico said something that bothered me the most, but Obi-Wan's hair, I, I, I couldn't get past. Like, No, I mean, Obi-Wan, I'm with you completely. Like, he, he turns at an angle, like, probably eight minutes into the movie after we have already been introduced to him, and then you get to see that rat tail, and it's just like, oh. Yeah, and part of it is that he's far too old to be able to get away with that hairstyle. Ewan McGregor at the time was already nearly 30, and I believe we even spoke about it last episode. It felt like he was trying to play a teenager, but it just seemed weird, and the childish haircut probably didn't help that effect. 
I think it was their way of trying to make this 30-year-old look like a teenager. But why? Uh, like, I mean, of all of the dumb ways you could make somebody look like a teenager, you could have given him like a backpack covered in MXPX and NoFX stickers. You could have given him a shitty Buick LeSabre that he got from his Uncle Ken. You could have given him so many other ways that wouldn't then... Because, like, I, I have to. There's, like, no good hair in this entire franchise, canonically speaking, except Mace Windu, until Leia. That's a weird soapbox to get up on within the first six minutes of our episode. Bad hair! Bad hair! You didn't like Queen Admidala's different hairstyles? The Moira Rose of the Star Wars universe? Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay, now that this is um, Shit's Menace, I am... <laughs> oh my god. Coruscant Creek. Now that we are on Coruscant Creek, I think, uh, yeah, you know, and that kind of makes the Emperor like a really shitty Roland. I live here and am the mayor. You, Annie. You. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm really about this. And again, Annie as a nickname for Darth Vader. <laughs> That in the second movie, he becomes Little Orphan Annie. Phantom Menace, episode one. I literally can't even tell you how this movie starts, and I've seen it four times in the last six months. That's why I wanted to ask up front if there were any questions, because I swear to God, for the longest time, it has taken me to parse what the full plot of this film actually is, not because it's nuanced, but because it's tangled. The way that it was pitched was simply, look, it's a brand new Star Wars movie, and this is how we meet Anakin Skywalker. No one really understood who the Phantom Menace was, or frankly really cared. Pretty much everyone just sort of assumes that the Phantom Menace is Darth Maul. And you know what? He looks kind of like a phantom. Like, there's something creepy and obscuring about him, and they do that whole, oh, but so who's dead? The Sith or the master, master. The there, yeah. And he's like the guy who was on all the promotional material and he's the giant face on the poster. But the fact of the matter is the actual Phantom Menace isn't even on the fucking poster. No, it is empty Grandpa Palpy. It's Grandpa Palpy. Grandpa Palpy is like, I am the Senate and I am the Sith and I am the plot device in this movie. So, like, was it just me who hadn't really understood, or is it just, I'm an idiot, and it's really obvious the Phantom Menace is Palpatine? Just because, at least from the way the story plays out, I feel like he doesn't come across in any way that makes it really obvious where he's going to end up in a few movies, unless you've seen Return of the Jedi and remember them saying that his name is Emperor Palpatine. For me, that really is what it comes down to. I don't know that I ever understood that the prequels are detailing the psychological collapse of an institution that is parts religion and government and we're supposed to be watching kind of like the anti-Jedi take down the Jedi in the most boring way possible in a way that's actually not that boring but in a way that they literally make jokes like up oh, back to the politics it's still watching the slow sad death of the Jedi for three movies to read a quote from George Lucas about how he viewed the structure of the plot he said the story ended with five simultaneous ongoing plots one leading to another the central plot is Palpatine's intent to become Chancellor 
Hitler, which leads to the Trade Federation's attack on Naboo, the Jedi being sent there, Anakin being met along the way, and the rise of the Sith Lords. Now, there are parts of that that I could totally agree I'd seen were the plot all along, because they are so forefront in terms of there was an attack on Naboo, and they find Anakin, but like, Palpatine's intent to become Chancellor, I think he's in like 20 minutes of the whole movie. And he says that is the first and foremost central point of this film. Before watching this, and until you just said that moments ago on this recording of this podcast, I had no idea that Emperor Palpatine was meant to be the Phantom Menace. Not once is it mentioned. He is basically the Beetlejuice of this movie, considering he's not in it very long, even though apparently he's in the title. And He's not in the title. He's the fucking title. He's fucking a title? <laughs> I would agree with Jonah and Kevo. I remember when I saw all the original trilogy in theaters, I was shocked, probably like most people, or maybe not. But yeah, when it was revealed that he was the Sith Lord, I I didn't see that coming. But then I know once it came out to where I could see it again, I was like, oh, that's like his face. Like that's, that's, that's Palpatine. How did I not realize this? And the voice sounds the same too. How, how did I not realize this? What a great question. How did the Jedi fucking realize this? The guy sounds evil. He looks evil. He's got a pointy fucking face. He looks like one of the guardians of Oa. Okay, but I'm actually really glad to hear that it surprised you because I would really love to hear your perspective then on the ongoing mystery of Darth Sidious pulling the strings and Palpatine faffing around doing his stuff. Was it harder to understand the plot and where it was going? And was the mystery then satisfying? Because my feeling is George Lucas got a little bit too lost on maintaining the mystery of Palpatine is Sidious, even though if you'd seen the original trilogy if you were like a regular viewer in that way you just you literally know it's his last name so do you feel that it worked as a mystery i guess i don't feel like it worked i feel like george was just trying something that just was not being pulled off very well if you're gonna try to continue the mystery of it have there be some i don't know something that happens to where it would feel like oh palpatine's can't possibly be him because Palpatine was here or something like that. But no, there's, he didn't really do anything that would help it be a mystery. And I think more time and work could have been done on other parts of the movies instead of trying to keep this mystery that everybody knew the answer to. And I think part of the problem is you can't tell me that the mystery is like liquid cement if I know it's concrete. Mm. You can't make a Harry Potter prequel and shock me at the end when Tom Riddle is Voldemort. You can't manipulate things you've already made sure facts of. I've committed to the knowledge that this <clears throat> I've committed to the knowledge that the senator becomes Palpatine. So I kind of find myself saying, all right, you're either thinking that your first trilogy was so unclear that you can get away with this, or you're playing both sides of a very obvious coin. And I just needed a little bit more. I didn't need it to be over the top with pointing to the fact that Palpatine 
Palpatine was Sidious. There is even one specific scene that they could change that I'll be talking about when we get to Attack of the Clones, that if they'd drawn a stronger line there, one moment, it would have really validated the prequels a lot for me. But I think they even thought they were being more obvious than they were. When we rewatched Phantom Menace recently, we had the audio description track on. It describes Palpatine watching Queen Amidala storming out to go back to Naboo and says that he watches with gleaming eyes, like trying to imply the the insidiousness, so to speak. And I turned to Nico and was like, no, no, he doesn't. And it's fine, but if you're telling me that that's what the intent was in that scene, I'm telling you that it did not come across. However, there were some things that came across with all the delicate subtlety of a sledge-wrecking fuck-you gravity bomb, and I kind of think that hands-down goes to the Gungans. A lot has been said about the racial overtones of the Gungans, and I appreciate people feeling betrayed by a performance. I really do. I feel there was too much hate directed at this actor, and Honestly, this is not the dumbest character in the Star Wars franchise. Not by a long shot. Not by a long, long shot. So I find myself saying, what then really is my underlying issue with the Gungans? Because I do have it. I think it's that I was unaware that they were basically mercilessly slaved off of their own planet into an underground state by people trying to overtake their land. Hello, canon backstory. So the Gungans are actually victims of terraforming, essentially. And let me take it even just a little step further back. When they talk about going through the core, I don't believe Naboo has a magma core, but instead has a plasma energy core. And that is the chief export of Naboo, plasma energy, which is also what lightsabers are made out of. So there's all this stuff about humans decided to go out and populate the galaxy, even though it was already populated populated because that's what white people do. And one of those planets was Naboo, where they drove the native inhabitants, the Gungans, essentially underwater. But knowing that that backstory also helps me forgive certain things like the amazing technology that the Gungans have. And I completely support their xenophobia. Where the fuck were the Jedi? Oh, that's right. Helping push them underground. No wonder the Gungans don't have a significant taste for Jedi trust. It's not something that comes naturally to them. And I think using a species that is coded racially as a backdrop element to express a level of political intrigue in white people's bigger plan for domination, unless you explicitly call it bad, comes off super xenophobic. And I think part of why I'm only coming to a lot of this now is, A, my own understanding of social issues and classism having grown from when I was, you know, 13 years old, and also the fact that for whatever George Lucas was trying to say about class disparity or anything like that with this story, how do I say this delicately? I don't think an old white man in 1997 who had made millions and millions of dollars from the first three movies necessarily again in the mid 90s was really probably socially conscious enough to properly tell the kind of story that he was trying to tell with the Naboo versus the Gungans. Now we're talking a lot about fandom and fandom's reaction to the Gungans but once again Jonah you're our target audience constant in this experiment so did the Gungans have a magical element to you? You know this came out in 99 which was right around the time of Final Fantasy 10 which was the hyper successful blitzball underwater sport where everybody was able to like swim underwater in these big spheres it was like a big time for that it was super immersive for your age demographics content 
I didn't know that about the Gungans, so that just, I guess, adds an interesting layer to their history. I actually really liked the city that the Gungans lived in underwater. I thought it was really cool looking. I thought it was like a really neat idea. I think how they got there plot-wise felt contrived, but I feel like that's literally the M.O. of this entire movie is contrived forced plot. It's the will of the force, Anakin. Any, any oops. Any oops. Annie! I guess I, I didn't really have a particularly strong or negative reaction to them. They were just kind of there, and then I forgot about them. And then they came back towards the end, and I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. What a white man. What a white thing to say. What a white Jedi thing to say. Yes, I'm the white Jedi. That sounds but hot. They, I want to be the, but like, I want to be like, <gasps> I want to be the white Jedi with the dark saber. Mm. Oh, my God. I'd call myself Shadow Force. Oh, I'm my own. Ob- oh, my God. I'm the greatest OC ever. Oh, I have all the powers. I I'm Leia's best friend. We go shopping. She's still alive. Um, Ray's my BFF. We also go shopping. And Obi-Wan's my BFF. But he always looks like you and McGregor when we're together. That's a lot. <laughs> so Dylan, what did you think? When I was a kid, I really loved Jar Jar and the Gungans. That really <laughs> tracks. And you're supposed to. They wanted you to. I did not. Rewatching it, I I actually like the other Gungans, but Jar Jar is so annoying. He is really stupid, and that doesn't help. Wasn't there a thing to, to like go back and talk about the racial aspects of the Gungans and Jar Jar? Wasn't there a thing that like when this movie came out that like people that like previewed it couldn't understand Jar Jar and George like said that he went and redid it and then had the people watch it again and they could understand it, but then he told them afterwards he didn't do anything to change any of the audio from jar jar i completely know nothing of this story but love this story and will be following up on this story in a future episode with all my might because i love every story like that because it reveals so much about the situation and people's reactions to things yeah like i i am almost positive that's how the story was that like critics reviewed the movie before it came out and complained about how they couldn't understand what Jar Jar was saying and George said okay I'll fix it and then he had them watch it again like two or three weeks later and he had done absolutely nothing but they could understand Jar Jar that time that is wild just another fucking Jedi mind trick so while we are already on Naboo let's talk a little bit about the monarchy and how a 14 year old was queen of an entire planet um Let's rap about that. Well, okay. I need to say, because like, I'm obviously, it's not shocking to anybody that is a young gay man. I super identified with strong women. and Especially Natalie Portman. Oh, especially Natalie Portman. We stand Natalie Portman in this household. And if you don't- Every fucking role. I don't know what I'm going to do. No reason to follow that up. There's no threat you can possibly say that matches what we will do to you if we'll make you watch Natalie raps until you understand. I was going to say, are we going to bust into Natalie's SNL rap? Because if we do, I, oh, I would like. I know both, though. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's our jam. I know the sequel even. <laughs> I love that shit. So I 
really always related to strong female characters and having a character that felt not much older than me felt like someone I could really identify with and I never understood the Amidala hate like I really thought everybody acted really flat like as a kid I was even like isn't Liam Neeson supposed to be famous why is he bad in this like it's just all of the acting is flat so as a kid I'm like mega stand Amidala and until Kevo explained to me that in their world Queen President is kind of like you're a nice person and you encourage us to feel good about ourselves. I had no fucking clue how it worked. Well, because here's the direct quote from Star Wars, Absolutely Everything You Need to Know, that was published in September 2015 as sort of a, this stuff is still canon before you go (laughs) see The Force Awakens. We're going to keep this stuff. Here's a book of it. And then we'll just explain more over time. The Naboo often elected young women believing they possessed a form of pure childlike wisdom that the adults lacked, which, ew! Also, as revealed in a spin-off novel, Tarkin, she inherited a lot of these Trade Federation issues from her predecessor, who, by the way, was a king. Always the women to clean up the men's messes, even in this fuck- Oh, like, this just supports my piss baby theory! Which piss baby theory? They're all- My theory that all men in the Star Wars universe have really bad days one day, and then spend 40 years as a piss baby, and then die when they're just tired of being such a big piss baby. Well, because- Here's, here's again, because it's, it's plot that it's taken me 20 years to understand, really. So Palpy's plan, because he's from Naboo, that's his, that's his home state. And this is the way that I've like basically talked about it with Nico. It's almost like, so he's from Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> And he grows up a rich, spoiled brat. And so he comes up with this plan. And he's going to go to these people, the Trade Federation, who are basically a cross between the East India Company and a crime syndicate. And as Darth Sidious, he's going to goad them into cutting off trade routes to Naboo. Because here's the thing. A lot of people are always like, it's space. Why can't you just fly in any direction? The way space works in Star Wars is a little bit comparable to the sea. There are anomalies out there. There's black holes. Frankly, there's planets. And so if you don't calculate a route exactly, you're going to run into some stuff. And there are a few very specific routes that are kept clean, kept clear, have security on them, and those are hyperspace lanes. And what the Trade Federation did was cut off all lanes to Naboo because, like, they felt they were being taxed too hard or something. Really, it's all just bullshit that Sidious was pushing them toward for bullshit reasons so that he could create an emergency situation to seize power as Supreme Chancellor away from Valorum, who's essentially a Kennedy. Just like a good family, kind of like career politician. Like one of his great-great-great-granddads was like the first ever Supreme Chancellor, and he's just a career politician who was always seen as kind of soft. So Palpatine engineered a situation with a bunch of soft people that would allow him to grab power. What he didn't anticipate was what a badass Natalie Portman was and that she would go right back home kick the trade federation's ass and take her planet back i just remembered it starts with those weird looking frog people yeah trade federation yeah yeah viceroy also also kind of racist but understanding that it's about not being able to fly through just anything without dying actually really transforms the movie in a magnitudinous way like not being silly but knowing that you can't
can't just fly willy-nilly through space and that exactitude is required is huge. So now that we've sat down and really talked about what the plot of the film is as opposed to the action of the film, what are your thoughts in terms of reflecting on everything that you watched? Do you feel there is enough of a connection between the two? Because that really is what's supposed to be the plot. Everything else that happens where they like get sidetracked to Tatooine and pick up Anakin and pod racing and all that stuff, that's really just actions that happen. What we're supposed to understand the plot to be is all of this stuff with the Trade Federation. I actually had quite a few problems with the Trade Federation, mostly one being that my Natalie Portman wasn't allowed to show any emotion. The Professional is one of my all-time favorite movies, and she plays such... Something I was, I, I've been thinking about is when Queen Amidala is making her case saying, yeah, my planet's kind of being destroyed and my people are being starved and killed. Can you make them stop? They're like, well, what's your proof? And I want to say, you have two Jedis you sent there that were try that they tried to kill. I'm pretty sure that's proof enough. It seemed so weird to me that I understand the idea of making such a strong accusation like that, but like they lost all forms of communication. They had were extremely like none of these rang alarm bells for anybody. The argument is that you know, bureaucracy sucks and he's too influenced by people like the Trade Federation. The Trade Federation has a seat in Congress. That's basically like if literally Amazon had a seat in our Congress, in our government, because that entity was so big that they demanded a voice in government. And he's heavily influenced by economic pressures but it's only really gleaned from something that Palpatine whispers in Amidala's ear during the hearing and that's it and that's when she immediately calls for a vote of no confidence and that is what it becomes about but like they don't put a lot of focus on Valorum and really at all who he is and why we should understand his actions it's so important that we're recontextualizing this movie as all of the Vader stuff is almost unimportant it's why I've said before, I had once considered Phantom Menace could just be a Star Wars story. It doesn't really have to go in the episodic narrative and kind of lifts right out. Now that we've gotten episode 9, I actually think that the Phantom Menace is a perfect complement to Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to say it 50 more times, but the fact that the opening film, The Phantom Menace, is Palpatine, who discovers Anakin Skywalker, who he will try to use as a tool to seize control of the galaxy and now episode nine is about his own blood granddaughter turning against him because of the influence of the skywalker twins anakin skywalker's progeny who all they did instead of trying to influence her with hate was believe in her and tell her that they believe in the good in her to the point where she takes their fucking name like it creates such a better symmetry now. It's one of the reasons that I do love the new movie so much because it makes me love episode one more. Without it, I would again still be saying, just like you did, all the focus is on Anakin in the actions, and it's all about like them finding this young Padawan, but the plot isn't really about Anakin. He's completely incidental. It brings us to all of the weird kind of like side quest stuff if this was a video game the pod racing stuff would be a side quest you unlock that you can then go back to to beat to get bonus weapons and alternate costumes 
I actually want to correct myself real quick. He is essential to the plot in one way, in that he uh, gets kidnapped by a spaceship and then blows up the thing controlling the droid army. That's that's pretty much the only reason that he is essential to the plot. But it's definitely not in that regard than Anakin's story. It's actually more that this film is Palpatine's story as he discovers Anakin. I think we are missing the most important part that it's actually not Palpatine or Darth Vader's story. This movie was like the origin stories of C-3PO, who has been in all nine movies, and he was created by Vader. I I think we're missing that very important part. Oh yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Sure, thoughts on the fact that Darth Vader is the guy who built C-3PO. There's some speculation, or maybe even canon, I would need to look again, that he didn't, like, create every single piece of 3PO, that this might be, like, a body that he grafted other stuff onto, but, like, still, that's just, you know minutia and nuance essentially darth vader built c-3po also the droids in this film are fucking sassy like prequel droids are like super duper sassy like later droids are like neurotic but these droids are like coming for the jugular and i don't know what that's about they are incredibly comedic there were a lot of things watching phantom menace and moments i mean just the fact that anakin created c-3po in the first place i don't hate that But there are so many criticisms I have heard of the sequel trilogy that essentially to me are the same exact thing as that, as making them find R2-D2 on Naboo and like now he's in all the movies and like it's not bad, but please don't tell me that Star Wars hasn't always done that sort of silly stuff then. So I kind of have to bring us to pod racing. I'm just so desperate to talk about it. It's just 10 minutes that makes no fucking sense in the middle of this movie. For real. It's just like a separate 10 minute film. It would have, it just lifts out. It doesn't even just lift out. It so lifts out. And I understand the parallels it's meant to convey, but no, it lifts out. Actually, honestly, if you count from when it starts, like when they get to the pod racing arena, the whole sequence is almost 20 minutes. Wow, that's much longer than I want to deal with. I kind of really hate the pod racing part of the movie, but I will say that when I was younger, the pod racing game that they had on Nintendo 64 was the best game in the world. Yeah, I think that is something that a lot of people would say. I definitely think it helped create a cross market between racing games and sci-fi franchises that could use a racing game. I think it helped strengthen Mario Kart and Crash Test Racing. And, you know, I think there's a lot that came out in that era that really cemented in the popular cultural vernacular. I think part of the problem for me, on top of the fact that it is, and I checked my notes, it's 10 minutes straight is the pod race. It's the fact that I, even as an adult, don't really understand a lot of the mechanics of these machines. When we watched with the audio description commentary, it told us the things that were happening. Like, you know, this thing stops working, so Anakin reaches over and pulls this thing instead. Sebulba crashes into him, and this important piece falls off of his pod racer. And I was like... Oh, I've I've never gotten any of that because you're expecting me to just sit here, stare at the screen for 10 minutes straight and be able to process and try and figure out what all of these things that are happening are. Sometimes shit just falls off a ship and we don't really talk about it. 
Like, we're expected to believe that. So if I'm supposed to understand everything about how this pod is being held together by gum and shoestrings and the way he's struggling to keep it working, like, I can't. I'm sorry. Jonah, once again, Target Demo, what are your thoughts on the pod racing? And I know you hadn't been aware of it as a kid, but was this something that you can have imagined yourself being obsessed with? I think I like the concept more than the execution. I I completely agree with you, Nico, in that this part feels like it completely lifts out. I already have a huge problem with the way the world treats Anakin, literally down to the extreme Jesus metaphor that he was born without a father. I don't even want to get into that at this moment, but I really liked the idea of what pod racing was supposed to be, and I probably would have really enjoyed the game. I've heard many great things. It was the part that like, I was fully aware, not like the details, but I was like, oh, pod racing. I, I know it's a thing. I know what's supposed to go in here. Um, but but the actual scene stuff itself, I didn't care for. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was just a complete waste of time. But if I was still the target demographic, I probably would have thought it was cool. And since you mentioned it, let's let's delve into that whole tiny baby Jedi Jesus situation. And even the dreaded M-word as a whole, midichlorians. Um, you know, I... As I continue to say, I, I think one of the failings of the film is making Anakin Skywalker so young, making him seem like this innocent little lamb. One of the things that I wrote down was his mother saying about him that, you know, he knows nothing of greed. I was like, okay, we get it. He was innocent. We get it. It's like so much. And I feel like George Lucas was probably trying to make it as dramatic as possible, but there's a line that when you cross, it just... I don't want to say it's campy. I don't know what word I'm looking for. I feel like it's over the top. It almost gets like schlocky. Yeah. And I think that Anakin's mother represents something really important in this film and this film franchise. Kind of like victimized passenger women. Okay. The great fridging of Star Wars starts with Anakin's mom. She's literally sold. Like she's actually treated as property. She's chattel. And this is another one of those situations where they have since made sure to use back matter to clear things up on like saying that like saying that Padme in between episodes one and two did return to Tatooine and lead campaigns to free slaves and tried to find Anakin's mom and I don't know what I was going to say. You know, those sort of things. I think her being just a background dressing to Anakin's suffering underlies the greater problem of the franchise, which is in the entire first trilogy, there's like three women. Here, it's not strikingly better. The women are used as pawns. They're bartered with. They're actual slaves. I think it took Star Wars a lot of time and a lot of reflection to understand where women fit in the universe because outside, and I don't get me wrong, she's a, a warrior queen princess mom wife girlfriend victim she amidala has a lot to offer but she's not the forward creature that say ashoka will come to be in the clone wars speaking of anakin's mom can i just quickly say qui-gon's name isn't stated in the movie until 38 minutes in <laughs> qui-gon's his name is not spoken unless you're watching closed captions Okay, wow, and you know what? A quick search of the script reveals that his name isn't said until they land in Naboo near the Mos Espa spaceport. Like, seriously, it's a quarter of the way through the script before his name is ever said. <laughs> 
And, you know, I bet that must have really taken you out of the movie. Stop trying to make Taken a joke in this episode. (laughs) That's absolutely indicative of everything I've been saying about George Lucas was too close to see the flaws. Before we leave Tatooine and everything with the pod racing and things, I do want to say I'm happy that there were certain things done in the prequel movies, like mentioning the Huts as like a crime family. I feel like that added more to the later movies with Jabba to give him a bit more of an edge instead of just some giant slug. So I like what they did with the huts and making them this weird like crime family syndicate thing that was overruling a lot of people on Tatooine. I liked that. I completely agree. I love the emphasis of this other presence out there in the galaxy that has its own power and its own territory within the wider galaxy. We've gotten as far ahead as watching the Clone Wars TV show, and I was surprised to see how much of the plot of the Clone Wars cartoon movie was about the huts. But when you bring up that perspective, I do like reminding everyone out there that they are another power that is to be contended with. It's a presence we didn't really see much of in the sequel trilogy. And now that we've seen the Clone Wars movie, I've met little baby Hut, and I love him and my whole life's goal is to just protect him and take care of him. I love that fat little squid baby. One of them it's needs to be wonderful. in season two of Mandalorian. I need him. Yes, and it, I need one of those and the child to be best friends and Forever. have play dates or something and then and the child rides it like a horse but <laughs> oh, besties oh so yeah no and i want him to be force sensitive i really want a force sensitive hut because i don't think you can give me a good reason why nut i think it's rare but not impossible like rarer than wookies but like i think it's not impossible i think i might have read that there was one but it might have been a sith they what the force is a force sensitive wookie oh yeah there are some still in canon but there was a major character i think it was chewbacca's nephew was Lobaka Luke and Leia's son and daughter the twins they rolled with a Wookiee yeah I'm having I'm having such a positive aneurysm right now it had a tiny little translator droid like like on their belt there needs to translate for them when they spoke there needs to be a baby Wookiee with a baby hut and child <gasps> why did you have to say baby Wookiee oh Oh, that's the next thing we need to see. Someone needs to draw up a baby Wookiee. I think part of the problem is we're having so much trouble talking about the focus narrative of this film because there really isn't a focus narrative of this film. It's like Kevo said at the top, there's five competing storylines and each one of them is more aggressively trying to outshine the other. This results in sort of a mass chaos. There's the Sith current. There is the Jedi don't know what to do about Anakin current. There is kind of like the Obi-Wan Qui-Gon having some not good stuff going on current there's Amidala and everything she's doing and I just 
there's so much happening in this movie it's hard to focus on what this movie's about it might have been better as its own trilogy and then just make another I don't know it's just too much especially because when so much is unspoken a lot of stuff gets muddled like everything worked out for Palpatine in the end anyway but everything working out with Anakin being taken in by the Jedi Order that wasn't part of anyone's plan and he as far as we know had nothing to do with it like the only reason they ultimately decide to take Anakin in is that Qui-Gon dies and it was his last wish and they're sort of like we're still not great about this but like I did die and Obi-Wan is gonna be a pissy little baby if we don't do what Qui-Gon wanted so we'll just keep an eye on this kid and it'll it'll be fine and that has nothing to do with Sheev it's just a happy accident that came along with the unfortunate and untimely and temporary demise of his apprentice. And, you know, okay, I guess now that means us, Ewan and Liam, are taken to the Darth Maul fight. This was the thing in 1999. The song Duel of the Fates and the double lightsaber were the fucking thing to the point where the Trevorrow script for episode 9 is said to have been titled Duel of the Fates, which I would have fucking hated. I'm sorry. I love that track, and you know how much I love score and would have loved seeing it get its due, but, like, that's weird. Whatever. This fight. Go. This fight was amazing. Like, one of the best things that Phantom Menace could have done was get Ray Park to be Darth Maul. I feel like it was a very lost opportunity to not have Darth Maul talking at all, but I guess that adds... He spoke some. He did. And he has such a soft voice. And that's the only reason that I am so adamantly sure that he spoke. Because I even commented, wow, he talks like this. And that's not like bad, but it's a huge disconnect from the ferocious warrior that he is. But he did speak like less than the Winter Soldier in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. True. It's just... For Star Wars fans to go from, you know, episodes four, five, and six with Darth Vader being as talkative as he is to his, his predecessor being this person that says six words. But yeah, Darth Maul, Ray Park. This was, like you said, 1999. This was the um, most amazing thing that everyone loved to watch and talk about. And I honestly don't feel, I feel like they cut Darth, Darth Maul too soon. Like, I feel like he should have did what he did to Qui-Gon and then had a more intense battle with Obi-Wan, but I feel like he should not have died. I feel like he could have gone into episode two and that would have been better. And the people who work on Star Wars clearly agree with you because after Darth Maul's untimely death here, they cobbled together a... Deus, no, Sithus Ex Machina reason for why he didn't die. And he will be featured in the Clone Wars. He will appear again in Star Wars Clone Wars and other spin-off material and continue to be an antagonist in ways that some might find silly. I'm pretty sure it's something along the lines of he, like, uses the sheer will of the dark side to not die and, like, goes insane living in a trash compactor for 10 years 
we're going to get to the episode eventually, so I'll, you know, react when I really see it and not just read it off of Wikipedia. But I do have to say it that does lay some groundwork for Palpatine similarly not dying just because he was thrown down a shaft. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that goes back to my whole point about everybody falls a lot in these movies. Yeah, why is no one afraid of heights? No, that's the whole... I've got the higher fucking ground. Everybody's scared of the person with the height. But you rarely die when you fall from heights, though. Like, it's it's a retcon because the character was popular, obviously. But Darth Maul didn't die. Palpatine didn't die. Luke didn't die in Empire Strikes Back. He fell down a fucking shaft, too. And he didn't die. Oh my People God. fall all the fucking time, and it doesn't do shit. Oh, my God. Jedi's don't fall because they're on the path of goodness. They don't die. But, like, when a Sith Lord falls, they're dark. So, like, shadow and never gets back on. No, but I'm saying even they survive. Kylo Ren falls and... In Force Awakens and survives. Palpatine fell and he survives to episode 9. Darth Maul survives this, even though it is completely a retcon. Now it's canon. So people fall all the time, but it doesn't do shit. And that kind of brings us to, really, the climax of this film. It's hard to put a fine point on this movie, really. I can. The fine point I want to put on this movie is Anakin Skywalker saying oops after, quote-unquote, accidentally destroying a droid control ship and, like, probably killing a ton of people. Oh, practice. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So what I wrote down for the ending of this movie is, essentially, Sheev Palpatine wanted ultimate power, so he used his hometown of Naboo to his advantage by being a creepy older man and preying on the 14-year-old queen. He didn't anticipate the queen having a massive pair of O's going into war, probably because he didn't anticipate her affiliation with Jar Jar Binks, leading to her developing a relationship with the Gungan Nation and their army, and then he ultimately uses this to his advantage anyway by encouraging the Trade Federation to engage in battle and then secretly turning on them. Really, the only thing that this cost him in the end is any credibility that he had as Darth Sidious, which is why when we get to Attack of the Clones, everyone is talking about Count Dooku, Count Dooku, Count Dooku, and then all of a sudden, the end, it's revealed that his master is Darth Sidious because he uses Count Dooku to start doing his shit. Ah, 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 I'm Count Dookula! I'm here to Sith your Jedi. I have so many things to say about his stupid names, but we'll get to that one in the next. First, let's talk about Grandpa Palpy and all this dumb shit that he did for power. Great job, I guess. You know, it works. Like, he really does get what he wants. He just thinks he'll never die. So he's close. One of the cool things that I shared with these lovely boys is the fact that the awesome, inspiring, magical music from the end of this, the parade, if you slow it down, it's actually the evil emperor's theme from Return of the Jedi. Like, that's the message it's sending. And I think that's sort of this movie in a nutshell. If you didn't catch that... You know, I don't think that's any different than not catching the fact that that's what the plot is. Jonah, knowing that you came into this whole shebang with the cultural understanding of who Vader is and who Anakin will become, how do you feel about having finished out his first movie? Again, we are a very pro-Jake Lloyd house. We do not attack child actors who were told to under-emote by filmmakers who were really excited about technology. And just to slightly add on to that, I said that in the last episode that I don't blame anybody in this movie outside of the directors because they were given specific direction. I especially don't blame child 
child actors for being not the best actors because they're children. They're still learning. That being said, I really didn't think this movie was as bad as I thought it was going to be, which is a plus. But a lot of what this film felt like was trying to show off the new advancements in CGI and focus less on the actual actors that that were, you know, human people, like actual physical people. But when you do that, you're subjecting yourself to aging so poorly that I don't know, like, like milk. Like, I I don't, (laughs) because (laughs) the idea of you trying to show off with your CGI, well, your CGI was better than it was years before. What makes you think it's not going to get any better than this? So I guess I was just so confused that there's just this, like, heavy emphasis on cgi that it didn't they didn't want the actors to shine and i think it's something you said last episode nico is that they didn't want the actors to overshine the new computer stuff i thought that was really stupid and dumb because i don't think it holds up in any capacity i i will say that i still think that all of the cg still looks fairly decent especially considering the era and i think that has a lot to do with the painted style that they chose for a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of the figures i think that helped them a lot but i certainly agree that nothing they did was worth sacrificing focusing on story it did feel very much like look at all this stuff we can do and the places we can go but like slow down for a second Slow down and let us appreciate the content as it's unraveling. You know, I'm so glad, Dylan, that when I asked you, you said, no, I'm a Star Wars guy. I was so happy to hear that because I'm really interested to know, looking back on episode one, a film that has in many ways been relegated to kind of like the C-list of Star Wars movies. I mean, this really is the movie with the most characters that kind of get like, by fandom. What are your feelings walking away from episode one? To kind of go along with what Jonah and uh, Kava were saying, I feel like since this movie was made in the 90s, I feel like they really tried to, at least in my point of view of it, I feel like they did the opposite of what a lot of other Star Wars movies did, or even what episode four of the original movies did. I feel like they tried to throw in as much action as they could and lose story and try to throw in a whole bunch of characters too. And that didn't really work because you were making an action movie that had no story. So to throw more characters in, it just seemed like a lot. And the reason I mentioned in the 90s is I feel like they were like, okay, it's the 90s. We're going to have lots of lightsaber and lots of fighting and lots of this and this and this. When Star Wars is a story that we need to have more depth. And I feel like there were some really good things, but there could have been better things in the movie if they didn't try to throw in so much action. I will say this. It did still feel like a Star Wars movie to me. There was never a time where I felt like they missed the mark on being Star Wars. And I don't know if that's just because there is so much iconography to the franchise that, you know, you just need the spaceships to be certain shapes, these certain types of aliens, the lightsabers, the blasters, the John Williams music, and you're good. I don't know if it's just that they have those key elements that they are able to hit 
hit so easily, or if it is specifically a good job of recapturing the spirit. I know a lot of people feel certain ways about their sci-fi, like Star Trek, like Doctor Who, where it is arguable that it doesn't feel the same. And I think that you can argue that in some situations, because the tone, the intention, the story direction of those things are so important. Like I said, this felt like a story as opposed to an episode, but I still really feel like it felt like Star Wars universe. And I'm eager to delve further and further into that universe. So I guess that brings us to the next major things we're going to be covering. In our next episodes, we're going to be taking a look at Star Wars Forces of Destiny Season 2 Episode 10 for a little bit of awesome sauce from Queen Amidala, and then we're going to be hightailing it over to Attack of the Clones or whatever, I guess. Like, that's literally a movie I like less and less every time I see it, and the bar was pretty low at one point. And it was your favorite of the prequels at one point, too. Yeah, this has been a really tough fall. This has been a fall down a shaft I survive with the power of the dark side. Right from the start with that movie, Attack of the Clones, I'm not even sure I understand what it means within the context of the story. Sure, clones attack something, I guess, but why is that the title for this movie where that's not the plot of most of it <laughs> who knows now jonah is that one of the star wars is that you've star won't star haven't star hasn't it correct i have not seen attack of the clones fascinating now dylan you clones attack have you i have because i very much dislike because you were a teenager in the early 2000s yeah <laughs> and i would see every movie that would come out and certain characters oh bless <laughs> And certain random characters that I fall in love with that are background. Blue, Twi'lek, Jedi, amazing Amazon-looking women were introduced. So yes, I remember Attack of the Clones. I am very excited to see a full force of Jedi in action when we get to Attack of the Clones. Mostly we've just seen a dirty hippie, an overgrown child, and a council of really snooty boarding school chancellors. So next movie we're going to see a little bit more of Jedi in action. And until we cross that threshold, Dylan, where's everybody going to be able to find you online? Everybody can find me on Facebook and my other fandom that I'm obsessed with, X-Men. I have the X-Men Facebook group that's called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? If you would like to hear more of my opinions on things, check me out on other episodes of HTML, such as the Dark Phoenix Apocrypha, as well as our amazing coverage of Rap Battle, the most amazing reality gift wrapping competition show that's ever been introduced into my world. Ever! <laughs> If you'd like to hear me talk about comic books, check me out on X's for Podcasts, such as shows like 80s Mutant Mania and We Are Krakoa. And if you want to reach out to me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. You know, Kevo, it's been so exciting, like, dragging our feet into this. And now here we are having a great time, actually, doing fun things with fun dudes. What are you walking away from the Phantom Menace feeling? You mean other than exhaustion? 
Uh, you know, like I even said at the top of this episode, I have so much more appreciation for this story than I used to, and yet at the same time, I better understand so many of its flaws. One of the reasons I am so grateful and appreciative of all the things that Disney canon is doing is the fact that there wasn't a cohesive, specific, yes, this is all the definitive answers backstory to these things that helped bring Phantom Menace more into focus. But then again, without those things, what are you left with? I think you're left with the fractals of what would have made a great serial, but doesn't come together to forge a single film. And until we come back, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can find me on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action on Facebook. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing website on shows like X's for Podcast and We Are Krakoa, where we take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise, as well as over on my Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, until we come back to this galaxy right here in this very now, very, very close by, we'll see ya. Bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye. And also with your spirit. We lift up your spirit. And with your Force. We lift them up to the Force. Let us give thanks to the Force, our... Oh gosh.